In screaming woods and empty rooms, or gloomy vaults and sunken tombs, where monks and nuns in dust decay and shadows dance at close of day, where the bat dips on the wing and spectral choirs on breezes sing, where swords of ancient battles clash and shimmering shades for freedom dash, where raging storms at midnight howl and distant rolls of thunder growl, where the hounds of hell take flight and ghost clouds race across the night, where silver webs of spiders weave and star-crossed lovers take their leave, where curses lay the spirits low and mortal footsteps fear to go, where death holds life in grim embrace, its lines etch on the sinner's face, where ere the march of time is flaunted, voices cry, this place is haunted. You're listening to the Hit City Podcast with Billy Graves and Suki Suburbia. from Tennessee and you guys were wanting some sleep paralysis stories and I have one for you. So one night I woke up and I looked over at my brother and I realized that um, it seemed like there was this small figure that was standing under his blanket if that makes any sense. Like if you can imagine like a toddler with like a blanket over his head that's what it looked like to me and I, I panicked a little bit and I was going to um, say something I was going to like call out to him or whatever the thing was but I realized I couldn't say a single word. Like I couldn't say anything. Above all else, I couldn't move at all. So I really started freaking out after that. And in that same time frame, I realized that there was another figure that was on, under my blanket as well, just standing there. And as I started panicking more and more, it lunges at me saying that it was hungry and it tried to eat me. And that right there, that, that was just the first one. Uh, my this The second one I had, it was actually like a little bit after. I want to guess maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a few weeks. I don't know. But it was it was a bit after. But this one was really weird. So my room, it was a lot darker than what it... I mean, obviously the room's dark, but like I can like make out like some objects. But for whatever reason, this one right here, it was, it was just a single candle. And that was it for like a few seconds until... From my peripheral vision, I start seeing like these arachnid-like limbs. I just closed my eyes after that because like stuff like that. Like, after I saw that from the corner of my eye, like I, I was like, "Nope, I'm done," and I just went to sleep, or at least I tried to sleep, which um, it kind of did work. But I was, my heart was still pounding, and I mean, I knew it was, I knew it was sleep paralysis at that time, but it was just, I, I was, oh, it was awful, and. This, my final one, this third one, this one was definitely the shortest one and a lot more subtle, but I couldn't move and I knew exactly what it was. So I just kept my eyes shut the entire time and I was doing okay until for some reason it felt like something was pulling me out of my bed and that just sent me. On my brother's side of things, apparently he was actually um, awake and he had his earbuds, he had his earbuds in, but he didn't really like... I guess notice until later but eventually he started hearing like some things from my side of the room so he took out one of his earbuds and looked over and 
he realized that like um i was just like sitting there mumbling to myself and he was a little confused about it but then he started hearing me mumbling help apparently and after he heard that he started like calling out to me asking me what was wrong but i obviously um at the time I, i wasn't able to respond to him at all but um eventually um he was yelling loud enough to where i actually got brought out of it and that's it Hey, welcome to Hit City on the Slasher Sports Show. I am Billy Graves. Find me on Twitter at HitCityKid. You know who the co-host is. I don't need to introduce her. I'm going to. Suki, welcome. Hey, y'all. It's Suki. At 80 Suburbia. So make sure you follow us on Twitter at Slasher Sports and on TikTok at Slasher Sports, on Instagram at Slasher Sports Media. And as always, like you heard in the intro, we want to hear from you, the listener, So go to the link tree in the bio to this episode, and there you'll find a link to our podcast messages. Leave us a question or a comment. If you follow us on Twitter, you're going to get the subject of the week. But who knows? Maybe we'll play uh, your your message on the podcast. I don't know. We played Matt from Tennessee, didn't we? Yes, we did. And he's got a very interesting story to tell us. Uh, But lastly, if you are enjoying Hit City... Next time you're on your Spotify or Apple podcast app, give us a rating. This helps more than you could possibly understand. It shoots us up in the uh, searchability for each site. It does exponential difference, Suki. Exponential. That means by the exponent. Exponential. Exponentially better. No, exponentially. Like an exponent. Like, like Like six to the third power. Oh wow! Yeah, an exponent. The the little the little three next to the six. That would be an exponent. So it does exponentially. You made up a word, and now you're trying to make it work. I'm with you. I like it. Please listen, follow, tag, retweet. I wouldn't expect a Virginian like yourself, by, by way of Oklahoma, to know the difference between just a regular digit and an exponent. I also lived in Hawaii, and by it being rated the like. 45th um in the state for education i feel like i learned a lot there when i was did you learn did you learn pemdas or pedmas for uh doing formulas yes yes like please please excuse my dear aunt sally which is not woke what do you what do you think the e stands for in that in that phrase (laughs) <laughs> it does not mean <laughs> explain <laughs> it means exponent so I, that's proof i didn't make up the word okay okay damn it Fruit. Okay, solid you're, you're, fruit. okay you're st- you're starting your shit a little bit too early in this show welcome so let's talk about what matt from tennessee had to tell us wild stories can you imagine like the, the, these sleep paralysis episodes I mean, if if we could get weird for a moment. Let's get weird. Let's get weird. These sleep paralysis episodes that people have are so vivid, so real, and yet, I hate saying and yet, it makes me sound like a schmuck. It's just yet. It's and, but, or, and yet. Those are your conjunctions. Yet, can't move a muscle laying there, can't speak, can't signal to anybody, can't even blink to tell them, hey, I'm being held hostage here in my dreams, wake me up two different dimensions right right it could it could be because uh, again the, these are not just nightmares where you run really slow like you, you run really slow in your dreams i do 
I think I'm running from something and I'm like going ear to pocket like Daryl Green chasing down t- Tony Dorsett. But I'm moving like I'm walking through quicksand. Oh, on the moon. Just one on step. <laughs> slow, agonizing step. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, even in the retelling from Matt, he sounded scared as he was retelling it. So it just must still very much be at the frontal of their mind, what they went through. They must experience it even in the retelling. And and everybody always experiences some sort of sleep paralysis demon. There's always some sort of creature there. It's not just, hey, I can't move, can't talk, wake me up. There's something there. A lot of people find it sitting on top of them. Standing or sitting up in a corner, man. I really should have gotten my old Slashers and Screamers co-host to to leave a message for us as well because he had an experience as well. And this is a guy that he believes in worldly things, like he's he's a big big Bigfoot enthusiast. But when it comes to gargoyles sitting up in the corner of his room looking down at him, he's not he's not yeah. with that. He called me one time about five minutes after he saw some sort of apparition up in the corner of his bedroom. He he yelled and his daughter came running into the bedroom because it was that crazy to him. Now, I'm not saying that I believe in any interdimensional beings or happenings or places, but I'm not saying it can't be. You know what I'm saying? Well, let's break down what it is. Tell what me. What is sleep paralysis? What are the symptoms? What does it feel like? Sleep paralysis is a temporary loss of muscle function while you're sleeping. It occurs as a person is falling asleep shortly after they have fallen asleep while they're waking up. So 14 to 17 years old, this is the age group when it first starts to onset. So can you imagine being a 14-year-old experiencing not being able to move and not really understanding if it's a dream? Are you waking up or can you wake up? I have it on good authority that Matt from Tennessee is 18 years old. So he fits right in that category of when this probably would have taken place. And it sounds like he's been struggling through this for a little while now. This is He told us about three different occasions. I would venture to say there's probably been more. And his brother corroborates the, the story. So, well, not to us, per, per Matt. He corroborates mm-hmm. the story. Says, hey, you were laying there and you were mumbling, help. So I had to wake you up, but you wouldn't respond. That's a, that's a really weird phenomenon because of not only... I mean, people can dream anything that they dream, you know? Mm-hmm. People's imaginations are the only things that stops, you know, certain things from happening in their own mind. Right. But the, the part that gets me is how it takes over your physical form. So, feeling as if something is pushing you down, feeling like someone or something is in the room, a feeling of fear... Um, hallucinations like like super hypnotic or like you're in a dream state but you can also feel everything it's got to feel like a trap it has got to feel like the worst trap and your mind is not working with you correctly it's a little bit too much of both worlds the dream world and the physical world you know yeah Mm. well do we want to hear people's stories oh another thing symptoms may include difficulty breathing feeling as if you're going to die Literally, feeling as if you're going to die, sweating, muscle aches, headaches, and paranoia. I think we should hear more. Do we? Five to forty percent of people in 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 this study or whatever have experienced this symptom. So there's got to be more people that we sh- we can hear from. I want to hear more. Yeah, I want to hear more. And I'm, during this week, Suki, we need to to really throw this out there on the social medias all week. 
I mean, we, we've got a guest coming up in the, the program a little bit later. We want to really help push his campaign for the film that he's he's created for us. Yeah. But at the same time, we also want to get these these stories from our listeners because, I mean, really, that's what this is about. We want to engage with the listeners, and that's why we put that link out there for you guys to, to leave us messages, comments, questions. But we want to know your story. We want to know what your sleep paralysis is like. Do, do people all feel the same sensations? I mean, wh- I want to know how it differs from individual to individual. Do you get some sort of weird demon where somebody else gets a, um, I don't know, just a, a, a happy little elf or something? Like, happy wh- elf. You know, pe- people who trip on uh, on DMT and sometimes mushrooms, they they, they all see common, common things. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, an elf is one of those common things. I, I really need like... to. I want to talk to somebody who's tripped on shrooms. That's what <laughs> I want to know. I, I, I want to know what they're feeling exactly because people call this like an enlightening experience. Like they they don't take it lightly. This is a something that's like. Listen, I had a whole different outlook on the world before I did my first trip, and I wish we would have talked to 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 Dean Jacobs last week a little bit more about it. Like what, what were yeah. his motivations, but. Yeah, this is um like the mind is a funny place. It is a very funny place. Yeah, we're interested in those stories. We're also interested if you got any help and who did you reach out to? Was it family? Was it friends? Or is it just like so glad I you know survived that? Now it's just a funny story that I tell at dinner parties. Or are you a weirdo and you like when it happens and yeah. hope that it happens again? If I saw an elf, I think I would like that it happened. I'm not going to lie to you. I. I I think I would be okay with that. So there's my story. Well, we're sticking to it. (laughs) So what's this I hear about you uh, rubbing elbows with hip-hop royalty? Did you know that? Missy Elliott? Missy Elliott got her own name on a street in the 757, two up, two down, VA, VA's for lovers. And um, so, like, I told her, you know, two up, two down, VA forever, VA's for lovers. And she wrote me back giving me hugs and then I totally fangirled and said oh my god I love you Missy Elliott which was Mm -hmm. not what I was going to go into I I was going to be like real firm like yeah buddy we hold it down out here 202 represent which is actually DC but I I fangirled it because it's Missy Elliott and what did you say oh my god I love you (laughs) (laughs) that's what I said that's what I said. Crazy enough, though, I, you know, sent it, uh, the screenshot to my daughter in the middle of school because uh, she needed to know right then. So I send the screenshot. And of course, because she's a good girl, she doesn't write me until she's at lunch. And she says, oh, she saw it in the middle of class, though. She did. She probably did. <laughs> she probably did. She's like, nobody knows who I'm talking about, mom. And I'm so disappointed in all of my classmates. I said, you should be Amaya because she knew she's. She understands hip hop. I, f- I figured they were te- teaching that in history class by now. I, I don't know how we got this far. This is what's wrong with our country. You don't know Missy Elliott. This might be why you didn't go to the next grade. I'm not here to make any problems, but this this is the truth. You know, I'm pretty sure George Washington Carver and then Missy Elliott in that order. I mean, they can skip a few people. She unites people. Okay, you're on a dance floor. You play a Missy Elliott song. You know what happens? Everybody. Everybody. Including me. Including you, Billy? Mm-hmm. I'm out there shuffling or something. I don't really do the right dances at the right time sometimes. But you're ready because it's Missy Elliott, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's involuntary. 
It's like the 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 two times my knees act up are during the <laughs> cold and when Missy Elliott's on. These are true statements. These are true statements. You know what else is also true? <clears throat> you ready? What I'm, are you ready for? I'm, what I'm, else is I'm, also true? I've been ready. I've been ready. Why are why are elevator jokes so classic? Oh, um, uh, I almost had an answer just now because they'll put you on the fl- ground floor laughing. I don't know. Because they work on so many levels. Oh. Pow. And you weren't ready because we were talking about Missy. Dropped it on you. You will never be as good as me. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Speaking of one member of royalty never being as good as another member of royalty, Queen Elizabeth passed away today at the age of 352. Was that the segue, Billy? Was that was that the segue? I, I don't I don't I don't think we had a segue to what? A I segue to just, what? Your dad joke? Don't you just like no you you segue from a dad joke to the queen? Like how did you how did you pull that off? Like I'm literally watching it as it went down and I'm trying to figure out if that's what you just did. I, listen, like it's all connected, man. It's all connected. Like Keep after I through. heard after I heard about those sleep paralysis demons, it's all connected. It's all connected. Yeah, in a minute, we're going to talk about a hollow earth. We're going to talk about the lizard people that okay. run the world, supposedly. Do you say supposedly or supposedly? Supposedly. Thank you. Because you do the Pacific thing, and i just making it's a sure real that... Word. It's a real word. Okay. And okay. I can use it interchangeably between the ocean and what I'm specifically trying to talk about. Okay. Gotcha. Well, Queen Elizabeth passed away today at the age of 352. Um, Moment of silence. 20 Olympic Games. She has seen 20. And they only do those every four years. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Well, I mean, they got got winter and summer, though, that happens every two years. So I don't really know. She she might have been, like, putting too many notches on the wall. You know, that's all I'm saying. She might have been like, hey, it's a summer Olympics. I'm going to go ahead and knock one more down. mm, You know what else I learned about her today? She was in World War II. Her purse. Her purse was a signal to her staff if she was in distress and needed to leave a social engagement. Like, if she had it on the table, they would know to give her five minutes and then go ahead and come and collect her. Or if she had it, like, on the ground, they would know she's having a good time. Okay. If, Can you imagine like, your if, whole life just watching her purse? That's that's the thing. I was like, I don't know. I didn't know Americans were so invested in the British monarchy. We're here, buddy. Yes. Like when did that happen? Princess die. So I I thought we stopped caring about them back in 1776. No, nope, no, we sure did not. No, no? we sure did not. Mm-mm. Mm. Princess die and the other one who did Weight Watchers. What was her name? Fergie. Those Fergie. Man, was it Fer- was, was it Fergie? She's like the Duchess of somewhere. Some, we was all up in that business. We were all up in that. And now the man gets to have his side chick leading the country. A side chick leading the country. The point is this. R.I.P. to the queen. Moment of silence. I already gave my moment of silence a minute ago. <laughs> but you know that like once this podcast gets edited, it's going to truncate that silence. And like you're going to say moment of <laughs> silence. And then we're just going to start back talking again. There's no disrespect meant to the queen. I did say that she lived to 352, but that's not really important. You know, I got to tell you a story, though. This is true. I grew up in a very small town, okay? Had a uh, graduating class of about 100 to 110 people. Okay, really small. Um, at the time, oh, the series has a heart attack. Um, but I had a classmate, not even one of my classmates, like one or two years younger than me. 
I'm not going to use her real name. I'll call her the Duchess. Yeah, I'm going to call her the Duchess because that's what I refer to her as um, in our place of employment. Okay. And the reason I do this is because after me not seeing this gal for a decade or more, she shows up as a new recruit to our office as a new employee. And she is using a British accent. Shut your face up. Are you serious? She is using a like British Madonna, accent. Like she just rolled up with a, like, you're from Brooklyn. Like, what are you doing? Like, like yeah, what are you, and, and I'm thinking, like, you're from Westmoreland, Tennessee. Like, <laughs> Westmoreland, Tennessee. A place that has one grocery store and a is water a tower. Is it a Piggly it, Wiggly? It was a CB. Even better. <laughs> But okay, listen. But did she do like a study abroad? Because sometimes that happens too. They do like one month abroad for college, and they come back with like. You you think that somebody goes away for a month and comes back sounding like well the 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 Duchess herself? Yes, it happens. Sarah Ferguson, absolutely not. It does not happen that way. But here's the thing. Okay, I graduated high school. The very first thing I did was signed up for the military. I was gone out of that place. Okay, when I came back. This girl was working at Walmart, okay? Oh, so she didn't get the accent abroad. She, 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 she hadn't even been out of the county, let alone out of the country, okay? So I, I saw her around, but didn't really, like, we never talked as friends or anything. Um, but she did ride my school bus from the time that she was in kindergarten all the way up until whenever, okay? She didn't have an accent then? Hell no, she had a speech impediment then, is what she had. <laughs> And it was one of those speech impediments that, like, turns your R's into W's. Yeah. Okay. Hey, my, hey Mom, look at the wabbit, right? Yeah. Cute, cute little accent. Little C- lisp. No, no, not a lisp. A lisp is what turns your S's into TH's. So this is a... Okay, Ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> like, Mike Tyson has a lisp. Mike Tyson. Okay, okay. Yeah. But this girl turns her R's into W's, or did, as a child. Wabbit. Look at the wabbit. Okay. Look at the wabbit. Um, I want to widen the car. So, so, stop laughing. How did she pull off a British accent? Okay, so, fast forward to years later, um, I'm working as a data analyst, where I am, and here she comes in the, in the class of new recruits. And she comes and, like, says hello. She says, aren't you? I said, hey, yeah, I know you. We, we graduated, or we went to high school together, or we went to school together. And I said, your name is something. And then she goes, she goes, well, it's actually this. Now I go by this. Okay, cool. So it's like, um, she used to go by Victoria. Now she goes by Vicky. Okay. It's one of those things. Okay. So I just went with it. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, good to see you. But I did pick up on like a funny way of speaking. Now in my mind, I'm saying, oh, well, she did have that speech impediment as a kid. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe she it's never grew out of it. Maybe she never grew out of it. Maybe she never got the 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 yeah. the, the speech therapy to take care of that. And it, it happens, you know. People grow up not knowing how to read. Okay, so like it's not beyond me to to consider that she may have not lost her speech impediment. Okay. I'm not going to make fun. Hello, governor. Well, anyway, <laughs> anyway. I'm trying to figure out how the hello would be a speech impediment where you're like trying to justify it in your head, like. She, Suki, okay. you, you in your head. She came up to me and said hello, but she didn't do that. Okay, she was more she was more subtle about the things that she said. So she's off in the training class. Okay, and I'm pretty good friends with the the trainer 
who is leading that class. And the trainer comes up to me and says, hello, Billy. <laughs> and I said, what's up? What's and up? she says, yeah, so we got a new training class and uh, we've got a, a British girl from Liverpool. And I said, okay, cool. And then I thought, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Tell me about this British person. <laughs> and she said, okay, well, her name is, we'll say Vicky, which is a fictional name. Not like last week when I made up a fictional name that was actually the name. But but uh, Vicky is saying that she's from Liverpool. Correction, she's from here, but her dad's from Liverpool. So now the, the story's already changed. Not only is her dad from Liverpool, but her dad has now transferred that accent <laughs> like it's, you know, like congenial heart failure that yeah. runs in the family. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so she's using this accent, pulling the wool over everybody's eyes. And I said, no, uh, sh- uh, almost said the trainer, fuck it. Shelby. No, Vicky <laughs> is not British. Vicky is from Westmoreland because she went to school with me. Why are you and being a hater on her lineage? Why are you being but, a hater on her newfound? Maybe she identifies as British. Can you do that? Okay, so like know. Rachel, so Rachel Dole is all uh, is is now working where I work. <laughs> That's the same thing. So, so, you, so you, it is the same thing. She's so not before, something before she's Darwin, identifying to be. Before Darwin, there was this guy named Lemur. Lemur. And he thought that if you cut off your arm or like if you got your arm blown off in war, then your children would not have an arm. Maybe it's the same thing. Like, you know, her dad had an accent and then like it got passed down, you know. But but we know but we know (laughs) Lemure's theory is not right. (laughs) So so, yes, it's exactly like that, because we know that theory is wrong as well. (laughs) So, the important part here, okay, here's the thing, though. I did not have the heart to bust her because what if she was running from some childhood trauma? There you go. Okay, what if she she needed to reinvent herself? But, like, reinventing herself doesn't involve making up a whole backstory for other characters, you know? When you make up a she, life, you got to go full hog. You don't half-ass it. You're not like, no, oh, you're going to make up half a life. It, well, okay, that's that's true. But she would go up to, like, managers for no reason and be like, hey, do you mind if I run to the uh, to the loo? And it's like, the what? It's like, oh, I, for, I forgot you guys call it a restroom. My bad. Do you mind if I run to the loo? Right. Do you mind if I the loo? Do you mind? When I want to get stuff for free, I'll do a British accent. <laughs> do you? How do you get free stuff as a Brit? A black chick doing a British accent, people are very confused. They're just like, oh, where are you from? Oh, it doesn't matter where I'm from. It matters where I'm from now. What are you up to today? And I get all this stuff. But they're, anyway. they're, bl- they're black British people, though. They don't know that. Yeah, they don't know. Oh, Samantha Mumba really fucked up everybody's world. (laughs) Like, wait a minute, there are black people in Ireland? Nobody knew what to do. Is she mixed? How did she get there? You remember when she came out? That was hilarious. I was like, it's the same thing with Oklahoma. When people are like, there's black people in Oklahoma. And I'm like, no, we looked at the United States and we were like, stopping at one state, Oklahoma. We're skipping over that. We're going to go to the other states. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, okay. we. St- I referred to Vicky as the Duchess because no, she's been long terminated. But I had to ask about it today because anytime something British comes up in the news, I have to I have to verify that the Duchess. What, what the what is the Duchess doing? And um, one of my former co-hosts of Slashers and Screamers informed me that she hasn't been employed there since 2019. I think that still sounds a little far off, but I've been working from home for a very long time now. So I don't know. It, it, it's it's very possible, but okay, it, it's wait, wait, one of the it's one, one of the most Twilight Zony things I've ever had happen in my life. That's insane. You know what else is also insane? The Tell fact me. that the uh, Queen's husband has just been sitting in a meat cooler because he can't be buried until she's buried. Is that real? That's real life. He's just been chilling in a a glorified freezer. Until Literally. his boo thing can go with him. Wow. That's the kind of love I deserve. Yeah. I mean, I won't know because we're both dead, but I would have it on paper. I mean, gosh. <laughs> just, just, that, that's almost like desecration of a corpse. It's really like it, it's, it's, it would it's not go down not to these de- United States. Yeah, not desecration, but maybe negligence abuse, of a corpse. Abuse of a corpse. Let me go to bed. I am tired. He's like 405. Let him rest. Uh, man, that ro- that royal family is something else. It's going to cost the people over there billions because they had to change their money. They have to change all their titles. Um, but it'll cost them billions to put on this affair. It's very real. I, I, I still fail to see the usefulness of a monarchy. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Do the they, Irish. They That's why they were having a ball today. But go ahead. The Irish were going off. <laughs> They were Irish TikTok really blew up. I'm 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 part of Irish TikTok. I follow a lot, a lot. Yeah. Um, the neighboring town, Cross Plains, Tennessee, was founded by uh, a guy named Thomas Kilgore. When I was nine years old, my dad dragged me out of fifth grade, fifth grade, fourth grade, something like that, and took me to the Cross Plains Library where a book was dedicated to me as the youngest living descendant of Mr. Thomas Kilgore. Mr. Thomas Kilgore came over from Ireland and settled, founded Cross Plains, Tennessee. Got my picture in the paper and everything. And it wasn't even like a mugshot. <laughs> Your royalty. It's an honor to know you, sir. It's me. And then one step above me is Dolly Parton. That's Tennessee royalty. Okay, well, hey, did you watch any good horror this week? So, I wasn't able to, but this is my goal this weekend, or this week. Oh, tell me goals. I like goals. My goal is to finish out all the ones I've told people on Twitter that I was going to watch. That's a really long list. It is, and I'm going to get it popping. Because you stay lying to those people. I I lie to you every week. What did you end up watching this week? I did watch a very good film. A film that I probably underrated when we talked about it the first time. I watched Fall. Okay? My girl was excited to see that. Are you talking about Dr. Porsche? Miss Jackson, mm. if you're nasty. If you are nasty, and I am the nastiest of them all. <laughs> Fall was very good. All right, so this, this Scott Mann film. Okay. Okay, Scott Mann did this one with uh, Grace Caroline Curry and Virginia Gardner. These two little hammers put on a show. Okay, they put on a show is what they did. Jeffrey Dean Morgan's in this one as well. And if I guess if you're looking for a more familiar face, so uh, fans of The Walking Dead might find it appealing to watch. 
Where, where did you I'm watch a, it on? It's streaming, a streaming thing, or yes, I rented it and watched it twice in two days. No, are you serious? Yeah, now I usually like to watch a film. Well, I'll tell you later, but I mean, it's already appealing to watch on its own. Okay, you don't need Jeffrey Dean Morgan to make it appealing. But if you're looking for star power, pre-existing star power, then he's it. He doesn't have a big role. Okay, this is uh, this is the second time that I can think of working with Scott Mann. They did a film in 2015, 2016-ish called Heist. But this film is 99% about Becky and Shiloh going on a thrill-seeking adventure to help distract Becky from her misery. Okay, she loses her boyfriend on a mountain climbing accident early in the film. But that's their thing. You see, Becky and Shiloh and boyfriend Dan, they're major mountain climbers. Okay, the, the kind of mountain where if you zoom out far enough, looks like a smooth wall and there's nothing to grab a hold of. No, nope. Yeah, yeah, not something you're going to catch me doing. I have a neighbor, he free climbs or climbs, and during the winter he goes to like the France to do the highest elevation because it's got like no air and a lot of snow, which to me, you would go the opposite. You would go the, a different way. But no, he runs to the no air and no. But anyways, so there's a boyfriend. I thought it was just a like a girl flick, like a the, friend. The, the the boyfriend you find in the cold open. Okay, okay. Cold okay. open. Cold open. You you find the boyfriend in the cold open. You find out he died on a mountain climbing accident. There's even a cool little scene where they're in bed and she. Well, it doesn't matter. Hammer. Yeah, but not the hammer. If I have to give one. <laughs> hammer award per film uh-huh. it, it's definitely going to be shiloh hunter okay? okay and i'm not even into blondes i'm sorry I'm, blondes no offense no offense not, to you I'm guys not I'm not, okay that is true that is true there, there's you got a little a little oh no that's a scrunchie i thought that was like one of those little stray ones where y'all try to sneak them in there sometimes so like, i've got black hair but hey look at this little stripe it's green y'all, y'all do that sometimes <laughs> And it's easier to do with braids because, like, you just snatch somebody else's one little singular braid. You'd be behind them in a in the Burger King line, and you got some scissors in your pocket. You're, I'm gonna just <laughs> snip that off, and I'm gonna hey, weave that on in there. <laughs> okay, Shiloh. Shiloh's the hammer, and a great actress as well. Or... Trading trading braids out in the parking lot, but okay. yeah, um, <laughs> I'll give you three blonde ones for two pink ones. Expensive hairdo, thank you very much. Well, and, and, it's, and it's very nice. It's very nice. You're welcome. But I do wish I'd seen this movie the first time with my dad. I wish I'd waited to see it with my dad. Because the whole point of watching these films, well, the whole point is to get some sort of exhilaration, right? Yeah. Especially in a film like this one, survival horror. Yeah. And like the first time I watch a film, like, and I don't want to ruin the experience by analyzing the scenes or asking, well, what did this mean metaphorically? You know, I want to enjoy the film as the actors and the cast intended. And if I really enjoy it, I'll give it another view within the same week, usually. But then I want to learn, like, who are these people? What have they yeah. worked on? And what did this film mean? But watching this film with my dad while I'm in the analysis phase, it was kind of distracting. I didn't really get to analyze it as much as I wanted to. My dad really liked this film to the point he's looking down every few minutes saying, Whew, my hands are sweating. <laughs> really? Yeah. That great of an experience. Pr- pretty tense because they're, it, once you see how high up they go, 
Mm. Like you, you think it's like water tower height. It's not water tower height. Okay. This is TV tower, which is like twice the height of the Eiffel tower. Okay. But you know, you might be asking yourself like how much could, how much could possibly happen while two girls are stuck at the top of a TV tower? I was asking myself, but you watched it twice. So there must be an answer. Oh yeah, well think about it. You can put two women with a common conflict on opposite ends of FedEx field and they're going to find their way to the 50-yard line. Why would you say that? Why, why, why Let me talk you? about it. Did you see that dress Mildred was wearing? <laughs> what do you mean what could happen stuck at the top of a TV tower? I'm giving this film, though, Suki, seven and a half slashes out of ten. Really? Yeah. Out of ten? Out of ten. If you'll remember the invitation I gave six and a half. This gets a full slash ahead. Seven and a half. And... And your dad also enjoyed it. So I think, okay, I got to put this on my list too. So this was fall. And who was the director? Scott Mann directed okay. this one. Okay. Yeah. Porsche was looking forward to seeing this too. Porsche. Okay. Very good. Very good. But hey, let's talk about what's co- what's upcoming. Like what can you check out? And all of these are starting September 9th. Okay. Th- these will be out by the time you listen to this podcast. Awesome. And the big one, Barbarian. I've I've seen a lot of people talk about this one. Okay, and this one's coming to theaters on September 9th. I believe it was already in select theaters because some people have seen this one. Uh, But this one comes highly touted. I saw Barbara Crampton, horror goddess, horror Mm -hmm. royalty, talking about it on Twitter. What would I know her from? Chopping Mall. A lot of 80s flicks. Okay, these are a lot of 80s, like, I don't want to say... B movie, but some B movie, some uh, some low budget stuff. You may have seen one of the most recent that I think got really big was Who's Next or no Your Next, Your Your Next, Next, where where the families in the house having their dinner party and you know they get some arrows shot at them through the window and just all hell breaks loose. Barbara Crampton was the mother of that family, but yeah, she was talking about it on Twitter. So she saw it and I wondered if maybe she got a screener because I was looking all over, all over to get a screener, you know, but yeah, this one stars Georgina Campbell hammer ball peen hammer. Okay. Okay. If you don't know Georgina Campbell, she's a Jamaican English actress. Ooh. Oh yeah. When, when was the first time you learned that the British could do an American accent better than Americans could do a British accent. Idris Elba. That was the first time? You I didn't think say, that it could happen before that? He's kind of new. I want to say that's the only time that counted. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. I mean, I can't think of anybody else. This, I mean, I know others, but Idris, yeah. You can't think of others because a lot of... that. That's probably fair. Do you remember Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah. Do you remember The Detective? Yes. Bob Hoskins. Right, you're right. British British as fuck that guy was. Yes, he was. And you know what? I shouldn't say British because I don't know sometimes when somebody's from Wales, when somebody's from... Right, you might be wrong. Yeah, I I know he's from England or was from England rather. The guy from House, right? The guy who played House? Uh Uh-huh, also English. Okay. Um, But yeah, I do get mixed up because I don't know who's part of the uk and who's like which ireland I, b- I believe northern ireland is the one not in not in the uk right or not you know yeah but i just not, found out that i have irish blood so i'm gonna start researching it yeah research it let me know but yeah barbarian this is this is one i really want to see okay? okay and uh again georgina campbell hammer also stars bill skarsgård 
Okay, you, you young folks might remember him as Pennywise the Dancing Clown in the new It movie, the newish It movie. Did a great job, I thought. He's no Tim Curry, but he did a fantastic job. And it also stars Justin Long from Jeepers Creepers. Yes. And, yeah, love Justin Long. And not only Jeepers Creepers, but Justin Long has built himself a nice resume of horror credits. Like now with Barbarian and Jeepers Creepers, he was in Tusk, where they tar- turned him into a fucking walrus. He was in Drag Me to Hell. He was in a film we're going to talk about in a minute, House of Darkness. He was in a couple episodes, or maybe just one episode of Creep Show. He was in Lavender. I really like it when actors gravitate toward the horror genre. Really, I do. I, w- I, I do. Why. I, I like specialists. I mean, even if you know somebody says I'm only going to do these types of films, it uh, specialists I really like. And I think before his career is over, I think Justin Long is going to be more appreciated. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. But yeah, this one originally was supposed to drop on August 31st. I don't know what pushed it back, but we're getting it September 9th. Friday. Okay. And this one was directed by Zach Kreger. Zach Kreger's uh, an interesting guy. Um, you might know him. He's he's from your neck of the woods there in Arlington, Virginia. <laughs> but the first place I saw him was on that sketch comedy show, The Whitest Kids You Know. Oh, I know that show. Yeah, he was one of the writers and one of the stars. Um, I don't think that show got enough love. Mm-hmm. But you know, I I feel like I feel like those involved in comedy are like the shortstops of TV and film. And l- let me explain what I mean by that to all you baseball illiterates. Me. First of all, first of all, why are you okay? You're more worried about what's going on in this British monarchy than absorbing the most American thing you can do besides inhale hot dogs at a ridiculous rate. Football is right there. Like, why would I? Why would I choose another sport? Like, what's more American than something nobody else plays? <laughs> <laughs> they they play football in Europe. Do they? Do we care? They, oh, we don't care. <laughs> we do not care. God, we yeah, we definitely don't care about the European Football League. But shortstops, okay, okay. and shortstops, baseball scouts will draft not draft, but they will scout the hell out of shortstops. Because they are generally the best athlete on the field, the most versatile athlete on the field. And they scout them so young that they're going to develop into a full-grown human by the end of it, right? They, yeah. They're scouting them at 14, 15 years old, sometimes 16, and they're drafted by 16 or 17 years old to a team. So once they develop, they might develop into a really, you know, a much bigger person. And there you got your first baseman you got outfielders. Um, you got center fielders that they develop into every position on the field. So they scout heavily catchers and shortstops because they're specialists. And we're talking about specialists earlier. Well, comedians and comedic actors have this knack for being able to touch every point in the emotional spectrum. If you can do comedy and make people laugh, you can do anything. My favorite serious actors are comedians. Robin Williams did great. Robin Williams. Jim Carrey has done great. Jamie mm-hmm. Foxx has done great. I, Suki, Bill Madison. let me tell you something. Billy, Billy Madison. Billy Madison. Oh, yeah. Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler. My favorite, yes. Let me tell you something. I once had a dream that Eddie Murphy made a serious horror movie. And in my dream, 
It was immaculate. I can't see him pulling that. I can't. I can't see him doing I, that. I, I think. I think he could do it. I don't think, I think he can do it. I think he can do it. I really do. I've, I have all this. Like it happened in my dream, so it, it can happen in real life. I, this is this is a fact. I I can't I can't see him doing it, but that would be interesting. I can just see him being funny doing it. Suki, I want you to play along here, okay? Okay, I'm sorry. Listen, <clears throat> listeners, li- listeners, you too. Okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go slow so you all keep up. Okay, okay Suki, you might need a pencil and a piece of paper here. Okay? I got it right here. Okay, pick a number between two and ten, but don't tell me what it is. Oh, I already did it. I'll pick another one. Okay. Pick a different pick a different number, but don't tell me what it is. All right, number between two and ten. Now multiply that number by nine. I do not. Okay. Okay. That's I'm why you have a pe- that's, that's, that's why you I'm have paper telling, and a pencil. I'm getting I'm getting it. Okay, but I'm not telling you anything, right? Mm-mm. A number okay. between two and ten, and multiply it by nine. Okay. Okay. Now you got a double digit number here. Do you not? Yeah. Okay. I want you to separate those numbers and add them together. Okay. Okay. Separate the double digit number and add them together. Now subtract five. Okay. Subtract five from that number. Now what we have to do, it's a little tricky. I want you to uh, assign a letter to that number, the way it corresponds in the alphabet. So if your number is one, A, two, B, three, C, four, D, five, E, and so on and so forth. Okay. All right. Now I want you to think of a country that begins with that letter. I'll give you the listener's time. Now, if you know how to spell that country's name, I want you to take the second letter in its spelling, and I want you to think of a land animal that begins with that letter. Okay. Okay, now most animals have a color that people associate with that animal. So, you know, think of a, you know, think of the crayon a child would use to color that animal they've drawn. Okay. Okay, now I'm going to go on to the next film, but before I do, just know there are no gray elephants in Denmark. (gasps) Billy! What? That's all I'm trying to tell you. There are no gray elephants in Denmark. That's all I'm trying to say. <sighs> God, magic was that. What the hell? So a couple on a vacation no! in Toscana. No! <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. I will ponder this by myself. A couple on a vacation <laughs> to Toscana. A Danish family. You know, Danish people from Denmark. They instantly become was, friends I was, with. <laughs> I was thinking of a green elephant. Thank you very much. That that's not. Those aren't real. Okay, go ahead. <sighs> this Danish family becomes friends with this Dutch family on vacation. Okay. Right. Months later, a Danish couple receive an unexpected invitation to visit the Dutch family in their wooden house out in the woods, and they decide to go for the weekend. However, it doesn't take long for the joy of reunion to be replaced with misunderstandings, Suki. Things gradually get out of hand as the Dutch family turns out to be something very different than what they've pretended to be. And the small Danish family now find themselves trapped in a house that they wish they'd never enter. And the name of this film is Speak No Evil. This looked very interesting to me and it does drop in select theaters on september 9th but on september 15th it's coming to shutter okay we got shutter i'm thinking of waiting on that one but this one's your standard you know these people aren't who they seem to be kind of flick okay you meet them they seem like the nicest people you share drinks share laughs they invite you to their home in the woods you go against your best judgment and accept 
Suki. I'm not going to nobody's house in the woods. Mm, mm -mm. You know how there are just some movies that you know a black person would never be caught in? Yeah, I'm not going to do mm -hmm. that. Was there any black people? Well, you said Dutch. Well, you know, <laughs> it's not Dutch chocolate, you know? <laughs> but, you know, like maybe there's something strange and you just know that no one from the motherland would go in that room or they would never walk down that hallway. They'd never check out that strange noise. Well, this film is a film that an introvert like myself would never be caught in. First, on vacation, I'm not associating with anybody. And I'm definitely accepting no invitations to anybody's home if I know damn well I'm not going to go. In fact, I'm going to have an excuse already in my back pocket for why I couldn't make it later on. Because like John Mulaney said... In terms of instant relief, canceling plans is like heroin. Yes, that is that is a fact. That is a fact. But me, when I go on vacation, I meet so many people and I end up in so many different places. But I definitely would not. I would not do the, the woods would not be a place I would do. You find yourself in entanglements, would you say? I, I, just, I just no, no. no? A, I, have, I have a good time going out and people like to have good time. Of course. Of course. But I have this intuition about certain stuff, and I, I would not do that. I would not do that. Today, mm. I thought a van was following me everywhere I went while I was walking my dog. And I was going to go head down this one pathway, but there's no lights, and there's no cars that frequent this one way. So I was like, nope, I'm not going down there. And then I see the car drive past me if I would have gone down that way. So, nope, I do not got to do this. Oof. Well, you know, we have to put ourselves in the shoes of the protagonist though. If we're going to watch a film, we have to put ourselves in the shoes of those people. Yeah. And this one does give me a thought that says, I want to see how this goes. Okay. okay I saw a couple of, yeah, I, I saw a couple of trailers and the progression of aggression. Didn't do that on purpose from the male antagonist. It's pretty brazen. Okay. He tells the Danish family because again, they're from Denmark that he's a doctor. Okay. He says it in passing. Almost like it doesn't matter if they remember later on or not. Yeah. But then later on in the trailer, the mom of the Danish family cuts her finger while she's cutting vegetables or something. To which someone says, hey, good thing there's a doctor in the house. To which the bad guy says, I'm not a doctor. I lied. <gasps> mm, step number one. That That's already red flag number three right there. And there wasn't even a one or a two. Okay. It only gets worse, though. Like, is this in, in English or, or is it like subtitles? So... So what I saw could, I think I remember seeing this in English, but it might've been an English dub. Okay. It may have been spoken in English though, but I do know that there are parts of the movie where they specifically switch to, um, their own languages. Like, so maybe it's in and out, but you know, these are the films that like give me legitimate fear. Okay. Like the, these films I feel that could actually happen. Like not, yeah. not the ghosts and the goblins, not the zombie outbreak. But the real life man or woman who smiles in your face while they're sharpening a knife. Like Parasite. Parasite is one of my favorite movies. Oh, man. They took over that whole family. And that, that could really happen. It could really happen. Mm. Just adds a, a completely different degree of... It, I think horror likes to walk a fine line between absurdity and like actual fear. There are a lot of movies out there that there's no way that it would ever give you a nightmare. So they can either do it bigger and better 
or they can do it different. Right. Okay. And sometimes in a day like today where reality seems to be more prevalent, you got to get very real. And the very real is something that could happen to any one of us. And this could happen to any one of us. They make you feel enough at home and they're just so friendly. There's no way it's a family. How could they be you know, yeah. weirdos? It's a family, a whole family, mom, dad, son, daughter. The kids seem normal, right? Yeah, because well, they already encountered them one time, right? So they already right. had one good encounter. Yeah. Absolutely. So Christian Trofdrup directs this film. Okay, and this is first jump into horror as a feature film. He's, he's directed a few episodes of a, a Danish series and a couple other features outside the genre. But first glimpse, um, it looks like he's done a good job here. And I'm going to be seeing this one most likely on September 15th when it drops on Shudder. I don't know that it's a, a, a theater. I don't even think I'm going to have the opportunity to see it at the theater. Okay. Because uh, select theaters rarely means Hendersonville, Tennessee. Okay. That seems odd. That seems very, very, yeah, very rare that it would drop, you know, in like my neck of the woods. But you know, we talked a little bit earlier about that Justin Long Mm -hmm. being in the Barbarian film. Well, he's in this film called House of Darkness. Also drops in theaters. I think all theaters on September 9th. And uh, this one's worth a look because, well, first of all, if the name House of Darkness sounds familiar, yes, it is the Bram Stoker tale. That's kind of reimagined, and uh, Justin Long is yet again getting the raw end of the deal. He gets fucked over in so many movies. That's what makes him great. He does it so well. He does he it does. so well. He does. But this film follows a man who drives a woman home after they meet over drinks in a local bar. Okay, Bunch she invites him. Uh, hey, the right kind. Well, okay. maybe, maybe <laughs> she invi- she invites him in for a nightcap. I don't know how they can. Sleep wearing nightcaps be itchy. However, oh, oh, okay, huh? I don't think that's what nightcap means. But go ahead. You don't think so? You don't think so? No. Okay. Well, the evening does not follow the familiar path towards seduction. Okay, doors are creaking, lights are flickering, and they go out as uh, the guy keeps pushing for romance, even when unexpected occurrences offset his attempts at a romantic connection. With this mysterious object of his desire. Okay. It does star the aforementioned Justin Long. Also stars Kate Bosworth. Oh, wow. Where's she been? I, I don't... Hiding. I, I haven't I haven't seen her in much. I haven't seen much of anything from her at all. But it's uh, got Lucy Walters and Gia Cravatin. Uh, and from the looks of the trailer, they're going to have their way with him. So is he really getting the raw deal? I don't know. Give me that deal. <laughs> I take that deal 100% of the time. But, you know, I'm not a I'm not a big vampire guy, and I think this is a vampire flick. I love vampires. I, mean, I was thinking I need to change my name to Vampire of Darkness or Vamp of Darkness. You think so? I'm, I'm working with a couple titles, but Vamp okay, is one well, of them. Just, just let us know. This, the, the siren of Scream can't, you know, stick around forever. We can change monikers at any time. It's it's not legally binding. You know but what? The one. <laughs> When you like vampire movies, I don't understand. They're they're rich, they're old, they they look young. Like what what is to not like about a vampire? I really don't know. It I guess I grew up watching the old Universal monsters. So I liked Black Cape, um, Widow's Peak having Dracula. No, no, they have to be very 
like sexy, like Antonio Banderas. Is is he sexy? Well, in, in the movie, he definitely has okay. this whole vibe going on, the dead vibe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that's we'll call him a hammer then, just to, just for the hell of it. But you know, the 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 one reason, or I guess the biggest reason, I do want to see this film because I do want to see it, is that Neil Labute directed it. And if you don't know Labute, he is completely unafraid of tackling any social subject. Okay, he he doesn't jump into horror very often. But I mean, it's not surprising he's directing yet another Battle of the Sexes because that's kind of his calling card. But the trailer doesn't give away too much, and I'm I'm now curious like what lies beneath what's shown in the clip. I mean, there's bound to be something. You know, with, with him, it's usually like a sleazy man or a vulnerable woman or both. And oh. like that, that's really not a far cry from what we've seen so far in the trailer. I think this is one that it looks, it looks very interesting. And there are multiple trailers um, out there to be seen. Oh, well, hell by now, if, if it's dropping in theaters on, you know, the, the ninth, then yeah, it's, there's going to be plenty of trailers out there to see, but this one does look really good. So I What's think I'll called? be seeing this one. This one's called house of darkness. I think I'm going to take this one in via movie theater. It look, yeah, it looks good enough to, for, for that. So tell me this. How do you feel about the future of AI, artificial intelligence? I think it's looking bright. Do I, you? I do. You ever think about, you know, how advanced robots are getting? Yeah, they they made this one AI that can go in and repair, like, damaged tissue in your body. It's like a little, like, robot. It just yeah, goes in a, and does the thing. Is there a reverse function on that where it just tears you limb from limb? Probably. Well, if Stephen King wrote it, probably. Why? What? What is? What is this leading to, Billy? Well, I mean, surely you've thought about a an iRobot situation coming to fruition, right? Now, I'm not talking about one of those vacuum cleaners that people have in their homes. I'm talking about a real robot that can just fuck you up completely. Well, I, yeah, I thought about that, but I'm more like I said, Stephen King's my my personal choice, so I'm more worried about cars like gaining up on us or a Christine type of situation or a fog like coming out of nowhere with like dark. These are the things I worry about. Okay, well, what if that robot's your whole damn house? Huh? You ever consider that? Yeah, smart house. Yeah, yeah. A smart house. Like, yeah, like my Alexa. She gets a little sassy every now and then. I can't imagine a whole Alexa house. See, well, Margot is the name of this film. And okay. what Margot wants, Margot gets. Oh, okay. Right. There's a group of seniors celebrating their final college days at a smart house. Okay, the house's highly advanced AI system, Margot, begins to take on a deadly presence of her own. It's always a woman. It is. Why is it, it always is. a woman? Why can't a house be a male? And take over. And take over, right. Yeah, but The voice is really calming when it's a woman, and maybe they want to put you in a sense of ease, you know? like. Have you ever know. seen an episode of, you know, Bob Ross? Ain't nobody. You give me a house with Bob Ross's voice. Oh, I'll just do whatever. Okay. okay. So what? I, I guess I guess we could sacrifice the neighbor's children if you say that's the thing to do, Bob Happy Ross. Happy little clouds. Happy little clouds. Yeah. There, there are no mistakes. Only happy there little no accidents. Mistakes. Okay. Why is it a woman? We gotta we gotta investigate that. Okay. We, go we ahead. need to look into that. But this carefree weekend of partying turns into a dystopian nightmare as they realize Margot's plans to eliminate her tenants one way or another 
are coming to fruition. Well, time runs out as the group desperately tries to survive and outsmart the smart home. Yeah, I like this one. Margot looks like a cheap thrills flick. Oh, I like that. Yeah, you, you got your typical eye candy actors. Each one just hotter than the next. No, Are but you I'm not against put... eye candy actors? Is there, because when you I, say I it, am. you say it I, with a form of disdain. I want you I to. Am. Okay. I, I am notoriously against eye candy actors because <laughs> you're sacrificing you're sacrificing skill for aesthetics. Wait, are you saying good-looking people can't act? No, but that was my next thought. I'm not I'm not putting this on the CW level because this does actually look decent. This does actually look fun. Um Stephen C Miller directed this one, okay? And if that means anything to you, let me just say he's got a full resume, a full resume of horror film. Like he's been doing low-budget horror films since the early 2000s. Like, one of my favorite zombie flicks of all time, Automaton Transfusion, okay, which didn't get a lot of tr- uh, of attention, didn't get a lot of traction when it was made, but I, mean, I believe he made around, um, around 2006, and it's got actually a line that I've been stealing for years, okay, I've been stealing this line for years. One of the characters says, God, I'd like to fuck up that kid's day. And and this is what you've been using in your like, been, back pocket. Yeah. Like. <laughs> and when when he says kid, he means an actual child. Like just imagine a grown oh. adult, like just having this disdain for a specific child. Like man, I like to fuck up that kid's day. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and how sinister that can be. And I probably say that once every couple of weeks. Usually about a cocky football player when I'm up, you know, in the booth calling the games. <laughs> I, I never do fuck up their their day though. Uh, I'm glad. Yeah, maybe one day I'll... Yeah, I'm a grown-up. I'm I'm a grown-up, but, like, I'm also, like, on the wrong side of 40 now. And (laughs) things are starting to be less important to me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not there to see the kids happy anymore. I'm there because, you know, my my best friend needs me to be there. Maybe one day I'll just mispronounce their names on purpose or something. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. A little jab in there. Yeah, just a little one like uh, the Adams family. Like, is it Jamal? Jamal? It's obviously Jamal. <sighs> what a scene! In the in the black community, when you get to a certain age, you get to say whatever you want that just comes what, to mind. Ooh, you look it, like you don't put on all the weight today. That's what I. <laughs> that is what I am waiting on. That is my oh. my jam. When does that come? Um, senior. When you're when when you're like grandma age. So you know. 60, 70, you can start kind of jabbing every now and then, like, oh, you're divorced again. Isn't that funny? Is so, that another husband? Yeah. So so once you start getting those free McDonald's coffees, you're... Yeah, you're I in. can just start giving all the jabs I want, and no one says anything. Okay, well, I mean, I like that because it makes me feel tough. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's Margot, and it drops on video on demand September 9th. I'm checking that one out. That's probably number two on my list. From what we just discussed. But hey, when we come back, we're going to be joined by the director of The Sawyer Massacre, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre fan film. His name's Steve Merlot, so don't go away. What made you decide to tackle a a fan film of Texas Chainsaw? This isn't the first time, like, I've usually not been uh, very deep into fan films. I haven't seen a lot of them, but one that caught my attention was the Jason Rising film. And I don't remember... It's going to come to me who who directed that one. But until then, until that one came out, I didn't really pay much attention to fan films. 
And when that one dropped, I said, man, this is like a, just something that'll give me something to be entertained by until, you know, official films come out. And then I'm like, well, do I really even need official films now? Because these are so well done. This isn't just me and my best friend putting on a gorilla suit in the backyard and chasing the dog. This is like a a full fledged real deal film that you've done here as, as well as uh, the Jason rising film uh, from the other guy. But why tackle this one? Well, uh, that that kind of goes back quite a ways. I mean, it was never about uh, it was never about just making a fan film. It was always about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and the fact that I love the original. The original is my all time favorite horror film. Mm-hmm. But I never felt that uh, any of the sequels or remakes or anything really lived up to that film in any way. And uh, I always felt like there was missed opportunities. Uh, throughout the series, particularly, uh, I'm I'm hard on this film because I, I I saw so much opportunity and so many things that were really really well done, but also so many things that were really poorly done, and that's the remake from 2003. Uh, as much as there are things that I love for, from that film, there's just so many things that bring it down for me, and uh, I really felt like that one had the biggest potential to do something great, to maybe even outdo the original. And uh, it just, uh, it's almost like it chickened out in certain ways. It could have done something really disturbing in certain, th- in certain areas. And, uh, and uh, it decided to do something else that, would, that to me felt fl- fell flat for me. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's just kind of one of those things. My, my brain started working. <laughs> and eventually, you know, I had a, a bit of a story. Uh, th- this was long before I was even into filmmaking. I was uh, a struggling musician when the remake came out, and I started uh, getting ideas. And uh, you know, I just uh, I was just uh, going with my gut and going with my feelings. And uh, you know, I had a bit of a story, and then you know, a few years later, I you know I put it away, and then you know, uh, I actually kind of did a treatment of a script, and and then I actually got a computer one day and. <laughs> Yeah, back in those days, we didn't have computers. Well, people did, but I didn't have... I didn't. I was always behind on technology. I wrote everything Oh, you knew both. You and one of those guys. <laughs> I didn't have a cell until phone until 20, I was like 25. 2010 or something. Well, I, <laughs> yeah. I did not live that life, guys. I had everything the first day it came out. But that's not what we're here for. So did you always know that you were going to walk in doing the prequel? Like, did you always think, I'm going to tell an in-depth story um, beginning... Okay. Uh-huh. Um, pretty much. Um, I always kind of thought it'd be cool to explore what happens before the original, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to take it in such a direction where I was really exploring those characters from the original either. I, where I was really getting into their backstory, um, because to me that that sometimes can ruin uh, a, a scary person, a scary person in a horror film, like a villain in a horror film, if you know too much about them. So I thought it would be cool if I could find a way to give uh, something new about the family, but also almost feel like like you're taking something away, like you're making them even more mysterious than they were in the original. Because if you want to be able to look at it chronologically. If, if you watch this movie first, you want to feel like the next movie actually gives a little bit more away about these characters. And that's, what I, that's the way I kind of approached it. Uh, is that uh, you're going to know less, but maybe you know a little bit of something that uh, that you didn't know before, that you wouldn't have known from the original that doesn't feel spoiled uh, from knowing it in 
in um, in my film. Let's jump if back to the sense. 2003. <laughs> oh, it makes a ton of sense. Sure. Uh, let's jump back to the 2003 uh, remake. That's the Alexander Daddario and... Um, no, that's uh, the Jessica Biel and uh, Arlie Ernie. Jessica Biel. Yes, yes, thank you. Um, where did that one fall short? You, you said there were some, some opportunities. Now, I do feel like it was the first big-time Texas Chainsaw that we'd gotten in a long time. Uh, there were sequels. There was that new generation that was all over the place. Uh, it, it was really all over the map. Uh, Matt McConaughey, <laughs> I think, was in that one. I don't remember yeah. the entire cast. I, it, was, it was one of those one-and-dones for me. But 2003, I mean, it was a welcome sight because it, it was dirty. It was grungy. Um, yeah, you kind of had your eye candy actress, but... At the same time, she got down and dirty in that film. Where did you see the opportunities in 2003? Okay, so the the things that really stood out in in the film, uh, in the 2003 remake, was the opening. The opening was great. It was fantastic. It set up uh, something that I was expecting to be super, super, super disturbing. Mm-hmm. Uh that you know, John Larroquette's narration—it's it's timeless. You know, it's and he he stepped it up for that one. You know, his voice was more seasoned. He was older, more seasoned. It had a deeper tone than it did in the original. And all that police footage—fantastic! It feels authentic. It feels like you're watching actual police footage from 1973. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it kind of starts falling short is when I meet those characters, uh, the the main group of characters, the kids. They did not in any way feel like you know youngsters from 1973 and that that hap- that's that comes across in the dialogue that they speak and the clothes they wear and a lot of the acting overall i guess you would say no, uh that's so fair that's it, it where, did the cast yeah. did feel like a cw cast this is common with with hollywood films so i get it they want to make it relatable to modern audiences so I understand it, but at the same time, I can't help but find it a little jarring because I just don't believe that those characters existed in 1973. Uh, once again, it, it rises up with the with the that uh, the girl on the road, the hitchhiker. She was great for the short time that she was in it, but it kind of brought it back up. Arlie Ermy really brought it back up. The family members, the, the Hewitt family members, I'll call them. Uh, really were great i just those kids were not very good the costume design overall some of it worked pretty well but uh you know for the most part even leather like leatherface's costume really doesn't work for me uh in the remake it doesn't feel he feels more like a frankenstein monster type of uh villain in that movie than he did a real human being like he did in the original uh and i think that's you know that's kind of the disconnect i i, I had with it for a very long time, I didn't really understand why I was disconnecting to it. And I, you know, I had to learn about film and, and uh, character studies and all that kind of stuff before I actually really understood why I wasn't liking the film as much as I wanted to like it. So, uh, you know, yeah, the, that's basically it in a nutshell. I feel like it falls short on those aspects. I also feel like it kind of falls short in the story department where, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to know what it is that, you know, basically what the reasoning is uh, for these these people to kill to kill these kids you know in the original was revealed at a certain point that these are cannibals and you know they they've been out of 
work for a long time because you know of technology and all this kind of stuff and they've become cannibals uh and that was kind of a, a really shocking revealing moment in the original where grandpa's you know sucking on sally's finger and you, you thought the guy was dead and all of a sudden he's doing that um it, it never had that moment for me in the remake you know you never really got like these guys are 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 really uh disturbing because they're rebelling against society that was kind of the only thing they 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 made you feel and it just didn't it didn't give me something to really think oh that's really really creepy <laughs> if you know what i mean it, it was felt missing a little that too clean I, it did you know and it's okay if you don't want to copy the cannibalism i think that's fine i think you know go in a new direction but have a new have something else that's going to make these people disturbing and i just think it was just missing that it was just missing that and the characters could have pulled it off great because uh uh, the family members themselves I actually really like Arlie Ermey, the older lady, the older guy. I thought they were really, really great characters. Um, so I mean, it's just, it's just missing, missing a little something there, I guess you could say. <laughs> well, you're right about the fact that the opening scene set a tone for, I guess, for us to set expectations, I guess. Yeah. And it, it probably and, and, and didn't and live up to expectations those. ultimately became too high because of that. It's very possible because, you know, the, the yeah. 73 version, we're seeing the, uh, I guess, the, the, the grainy film. It almost made it look like your typical drive-in theater film. And yeah. you remember it for that, the, the, the running through the woods away from Leatherface from, uh, from, from the main character. She was, I mean, that was a, an iconic scene. And then you clean up all those filters and you slap it on a 2003 uh, screen and it just looks a little too clean for me. I remember specifically um, years before the Blair Witch Project came out and there were so many people who believed that it was real film footage. Now, yeah, you, you had to be a little naive to believe that. But I believe it. See, I mean, but we we were we were very happy in being naive. For just a moment, we were able to be afraid again, you know? And when Texas Chainsaw 2003 came out, that footage at the beginning, I specifically remember people saying, well, hey, at the beginning of the film, they've got that real footage. They actually believed that this footage was real. And it looks very real. <laughs> do, does, does it not? It looks like legitimate found footage. <clears throat> and no different than uh, Cannibal Holocaust. You don't know what's about to happen uh, in these opening few minutes. And once the, you know, the chainsaw gets cranked up, you, you're ready for a, like a really good ride. And it, it does miss in a lot of places, but it also hits really well in a lot of places. Oh, yeah. I, I was, I was happy with the film overall compared to what we got during that time, but th there comes the, it's definitely better than a lot of what we've had lately. <laughs> oh yeah. No doubt. No doubt. And I, I believe it, I almost believe that movie theaters are in trouble because so many things are going straight to streaming. And I just wonder how, what that does to budgets and the ability yeah. to deliver a good film. Speaking of budget, the the funding for this film, how is that going? What has that been like? What have you been able to accomplish? I've seen it's been really good on the website. It's uh it's done fairly well. I mean it's uh it's not a Hollywood movie or anything like that. So we've had to uh we've had to like hell it's not Steve. Like hell it's not. <laughs> uh but yeah, I mean it's uh, it's it's 
you know, we kind of started this particular uh, venture with this film in 2019 uh, when I finally had a script I was happy with. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it took a while. <laughs> the writing the writing process just, you know, it, it came to me in bits. Damn so when I was in 2000, oh, yeah, well, you have to be kind of, you know. Yeah, no uh, doubt. <laughs> but when I was finally happy with the script, I uh, set out thinking, you know, I always try to think big. I always try to think, okay, maybe I could sell this, pitch this to the studio as the next Texas Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. So I went out and maybe I shot footage for a promotional trailer uh, in in about a year, about three years from, from now. Uh, it was September of 2019. We shot promotional footage in Western Canada, and uh, you know, I cast a few people. I cast uh, two people who wound up being in the film. Uh, brought them all the way from Western Canada to Texas to be in the film. But uh, you know, and I started looking at that. I started looking at avenues. We cut it, cut the trailer together, and then you know, I was talking with other people and like, you know, what if we actually just try to make a fan film? Because fan films were actually quite popular at that time. And I was like, I don't want to make this a short, though. It's, it's got to be the full feature length film that I wrote. You know, that I was pretty adamant about that. So I didn't want to make I didn't want to make, a you know, a, a feature length film for, you know, 1500 bucks or something like that. You know, it just wouldn't go very well. So that's when I kind of started talking about crowdfunding and, and looking into it a little bit more. And I think we finally set up our, our crowd, our first crowdfunder on uh, in August of 2020. Uh Learned a lot at that time. It was very, very tough. I think we raised uh, around four thousand dollars in that in that first campaign, and I just hit the reset button. Okay, I said I'm not. We're not uh, in a big rush to get this film. Let's make sure we have the right amount of funds. Reset. Did our second campaign came very close to hitting the goal, but still fell a little short. I think we raised about fifteen k. This is Canadian dollars, by the way, so it's not not as big as it probably it's not sound. too far off it's not too far off yeah not, not too what, far what's off. the ratio right now <laughs> i have no clue i think the 15k is about 12k yeah and the the 4k is you know is maybe maybe it was 3500 so it's not a, it wasn't a ton of money so we did one more campaign just to see if we can raise enough just to, so that we can actually shoot this movie in texas we had a great cast and crew down there and i just you know i i I set a smaller goal and uh, but a shorter campaign, and uh, we ended up hitting that goal, and the campaign went in demand. So we were able to uh, keep raising funds all the way until we shot the film in Texas, you know, and uh, and now we have a, our post production campaign that has also gone in demand. So uh, I think total, I think we raised uh, around, around 50k US, which is not bad for an indie indie film. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. We needed it though. We yeah. got people coming from Canada. That was yeah. that took a big chunk of the chunk of change yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah, Tell me Texas about that cast. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. Was, um, Texas was that really important? That cast bringing them, making it in Texas. It was. It it really was to me, especially with uh, uh, the young actress Nika Liu, who plays the female lead in, in our film. Uh, so glad Allison. you said that last name because I was saying it wrong. <laughs> That's all every good. time all, everybody i was saying it wrong for the longest time too until she corrected me uh but nika nika was 16 when we did our first promotional trailer here in, in western canada and uh you know the guy playing leatherface scotty parkin who, who who was the other person we brought from canada to play leatherface in the in the film uh they did they did the scene together where he's essentially got to be groping her 
and they're all covered in blood and stuff like that. And she's this tiny 16-year-old girl, and he's this big six foot five. Uh, 37-year-old guy, you know, and it, and and Scotty was in this, like, I don't think I can do this to a 16-year-old girl. And for whatever reason, when you see that on screen, you can, it, it, uh, it doesn't so much look like Scotty's holding back. It almost looks like he's be, trying to be methodic and careful. And it, and it really, really worked. And her screaming was just outrageous. So, I mean, I just knew I, I had... I had those those people were right for the role, especially Nika. Nika just oh, uh, I would have been crazy if I didn't bring Nika down from uh, from Western Canada to be in this movie because she just knocked it out of the park. Tell me about Lexi Graves because we might be related. You might be related. Oh, really? No, not true. We just have the same last name. <laughs> but I'm gonna show. Go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm gonna show bias where I can show it. Okay. Like okay. It. Yeah. Uh, Lexi was one of the first people to audition um, for the for one of the roles, and probably I think one of the first people we cast after, of course, Scotty and uh, as Leatherface and uh, Nika as Allison. Uh, I think she may have been the the next person we cast in Texas after that, um, and she just had a great audition. Uh, it was uh, it was a little bit tough to cast her because uh, she was older than the character I had originally written. Uh, the character that she's supposed to be playing was only 10 years old, a 10-year-old uh, girl. And she was, I believe at the time she was auditioning, she was 12. And by the time she actually we actually filmed, she was about 14, I think. So so she was a little older than, uh, than the uh, part we had wrote for her. So I kind of, I remember battling with it for a bit, but I wasn't getting any auditions from any capable 10-year-old girls. So uh, it was like, she's great. She really, really wants to be in this movie. And she showed a huge amount of dedication to be to be in this movie and uh i just ultimately said yes you you got the role because nobody else came close <laughs> i mean nobody yeah, else good. came close to being able to do what she could do at such a young age so uh yeah, i was good, happy with good that on lexi choice for sure yeah definitely good she, on she lexi man. not a huge so, role in the film but uh but important so when you say that you had trouble casting some of these roles um we've spoken to a few uh a few filmmakers uh, prior to this week and a large i guess a large number of roles have been filled because the role was written for a specific person was there anybody here that you specifically wrote the role for them um not uh just some smaller roles of uh that people you know that uh for god has perks on the indiegogo campaign i uh, wrote those roles specifically in for those those character those actors that uh that got that perk on the campaign um but that was kind of an after the fact sort of thing every every other main role that we had in the film uh was uh you know we wrote the we wrote the role and then we cast cast it as best as we could um you know some of the roles weren't weren't exactly as i had thought that they would go but you know that that happens sometimes sometimes you get a great actor that that is you know has a much different look than what you see for the role but he's still you know that person's still a great actor and you got you know you you go with it you that that's just the way that's the way you do it sometimes and uh it can be limiting uh but i think we did pretty good you know we we had to recast the role of rex i think three times 
Uh, and originally, you know, uh, I was working with a casting director for that role. We wanted to get somebody big for that role. We wanted to get uh, this guy that was in Prison Break. He was kind of the villain in Prison Break, if you ever watched it. I think his name is... Uh, oh, yeah, a thousand uh, what's times. His name now? Robert something. Robert Nepper, that's the guy. Robert name. Nepper, yeah, he played T-Bag. Yes. We, Theodore, yeah, we, Theodore Bagwell. We saw that guy. We saw that guy. Uh, I, I saw that guy as Rex in the film. Uh, we ultimately ended up with uh, William R. Instone, who's a fantastic actor, fantastic filmmaker, fantastic guy all around. But he looks nothing like Robert Nepper does. Not at all. You know, Not so at it's all. a completely, it's a completely different. Uh, you know, the way from the way I was thinking for sure. But uh, you know, William still killed it in the role. So it's very. How happy close was that. How close was Edwin Neal to being offered that role? He was offered the role. He accepted the role, and then uh, his manager sent me an email asking about uh, union status because uh, he, uh, Ed Neal is a SAG actor, and mm-hmm. our fan films. I mean, I don't know if any fan films have ever been a union, have ever gone union, but uh, ours sure, sure couldn't. Uh, maybe some of the really higher end ones, like the Never Hike Alone. Maybe the, maybe those ones can afford to to. Uh, be union status but uh ours unfortunately can't uh couldn't so um that was the reason why we actually lost ed neal he was cast in the role he was even attached on the imdb uh and then you know i got the email from his manager and uh, unfortunately they had to drop out of the project and i had about a month left to cast that role and <laughs> thankfully we got william <laughs> a month that's it was about a, yeah it was about a month before before we uh, started filming, that uh, we got word that Ed couldn't do it because of SAG. It is what it is, you know. It's uh, that's the way it goes sometimes in the business, you know. And we had no idea that Ed Neal was SAG when we cast him. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody told us, and I just kind of figured he probably wasn't because I haven't seen him doing a lot of acting gigs in the last number of years. So would have been great to have. I think he actually would have been pretty good as the character, but. Uh, yeah, it would have been but, a good nostalgia piece as well. Um, oh, for sure. So, and listeners, if, if you don't know Ed Neal, uh, he played the hitchhiker from uh, the original film. Yeah. And, I mean, with the, um, I keep going back to the Jason Rising film, uh, they had Adrian King, Amy Steele, um, I wouldn't say reprise a role. Amy Steele didn't reprise a role. I think uh, Jason Rising took place after the first one. I could be wrong about that i think it took place after the first one but before the second so amy Steele was never uh you know her character was never introduced in that timeline until later on but yeah it would have been great to have ed neal in this one um if it anything would've. for for that nostalgia um but i mean you did well you did very well with uh Will, william uh i'm happy it? with william instone, <laughs> instone <laughs> he's a good yeah. guy <laughs> Well, I mean, and good looking things. Looking forward to Butcher's Bluff as well. That's his movie that he's got coming up. Butcher's Bluff. When's that be great? Out? I think around the same time as my, as as the, as Sawyer. Actually, I think so they're we, about about the same time. Yeah. When when is that? October? You said like mid October, late October. Uh, October twenty first. Twenty first. So how'd that premiere go? Oh, the premiere that that was fun. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I got to speak spend a week in Texas with my family and. Uh, yeah, it was it was nerve wracking lead, leading up to it, of course, you know, because uh, we barely got all our ducks in a row in time. Uh, uh, Kyle was still working on our sound design. Uh, Kyle Hames, he was he was our uh, 
our key grip on set, and then he in post production he was our sound designer, and he was sending me new new cuts every day, you know, every day of the of the of the sound and to to the film synced up to the film, and I was having to make notes for him though, you know, oh no, I need this chainsaw going on longer, you know, stuff like that, you know, <laughs> there's there was a lot, so he had a lot of work to do in a very 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 small amount of time, and it actually came down to the final day when he finally had the sound design up to up to par with what i needed so um he did though he made it and uh, we did end up watching a movie at at the premiere so that's great yeah that's always a good sign that is oh yeah and we had somebody from the original uh movie show up at the premiere as well so that was pretty awesome alan danzinger who played uh jerry who drive the van and said uh come on guys quit goofing on me uh famous for that line I think <laughs> the original. So he showed up and watched the film as well. So what about your cast? Did, did everybody get to make it? Not everybody, unfortunately. Uh, I'd say about half of the cast got to, got to make it, but uh, we unfortunately Nika couldn't be there because she's uh, taking school in France right now. So we're like, oh, we can try to get you down. No, it was not going to work. Uh, so um, she 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 makes um, it in a big film and she wants to go to France. I know. To see, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Getting the big head, I see. Education. Education. Did the pandemic um, hurt your filming in any way? Did you have to slow down or readjust? Uh, Yeah, a little. I don't know. I I don't want to say it hurt the film in any way because I think we needed to slow down. Uh, We are originally slated to to start filming uh, a year ago uh, in September of last year. And, uh, you know, I was kind of playing it off of when the border was opening and uh, I had to make a judgment call in August of last year just to, you know, because we didn't know we, the, at that time. We didn't know if the border was opening or not. And I said, I, I finally made an announcement, to, you know, around mid-August, I think I made an announcement saying we're going to push it till March because uh, I don't think the border is going to be open. And it did open. It did end up actually opening. It was like two weeks later we found out the border is opening. Mm-hmm. And that's all good and, and all. But I think we actually needed more time to prep. I was have I was struggling finding locations. Uh, I was uh, struggling finding actors. Still, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot. There was a lot of pieces to the puzzle. You know, and it's. Uh, it, I think we needed that extra time, um, just to um, make sure that. That uh, all our ducks were in a row, basically. Yeah. So this whole thing was shot in Texas. The premiere was in Texas. The whole you're film, in, yeah. You're in Western Canada. Doesn't Western Canada look a whole hell of a lot like Texas? I was just about to say, isn't that the same <laughs> thing? Is it um, not-, not where I live, it's not. Uh, there are areas of Western Canada, particularly in Alberta, uh, that are it's more flat. So, I mean, okay. I could have uh, just moved the production to Alberta. But, I mean, at the same time, that would still cost a fair amount because, you know, I have to have accommodations for everybody coming here from Kelowna to to Alberta. And so you're still paying for that and paying for that travel and all that. So maybe it wouldn't have cost as much as going to Texas, and it definitely wouldn't have cost as much as going to Texas. But I kind of figured if it's going to cost me either way, may as well go big and just go all the way to Texas. Do it right. You want to go. Exactly. Authentic. We're authentic around here. I like that. Exactly. Because yeah, Western, yeah. where I live, it's too mountainous. There's just too many mountains, uh, and uh, it's you can't avoid them. Where where I live, I mean, it, 
there's not many areas in in British Columbia where where there aren't mountains, <laughs> at least in my area. Yeah. So see, I wasn't sure where uh, you were geographically, <laughs> and I actually don't know my Canadian yeah. geography that much. I just knew that Calgary had the stampede and a lot of cowboys, and you know, aside from the occasional elk that you run into. Uh, it could look a lot like Texas. I don't know, but I mean, but you want authentic. We want authentic, and I mean, you you went authentic. So even the premiere was held there in uh, in Texas. What was the venue like? Uh, the venue was was a nice venue. It was a it was uh, Austin Cinemaker Space. So it's a film school and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it wasn't like a, a big theater or anything like that. Uh, but uh, it was nearly sold out and. Uh, and yeah, it was just a great venue. I mean, it was just perfect for our premiere, basically. And we had a couple of liquor sponsors. We had a food truck out. And everybody had a great time. Had the red carpet, and you know, everybody had their photos taken. You may have seen us post some photos online and stuff like that. Great, it was great. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can't get Suki anywhere unless there's a food truck. Oh my god! <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we had tacos. (laughs) Midwest has the best food. I was born in Oklahoma. Midwest has the best food besides Hawaii. These are just my opinions. They are not sponsored. All right, everybody take a drink. She said she was born in uh, Oklahoma. There's the (laughs) obligatory, oh, I was born in Oklahoma. I was. (laughs) Okay. So, okay, you were a musician before. So what was that conversation like with your family? Like, hey, guys, I'm going to go from one artistic thing to a whole nother artistic thing. (laughs) Well, I mean, it, it's it. There wasn't really much conversation. It was just like, uh, I'm an I'm an artist. I'm doing something artistic. Yeah. I'm gonna try a film now. You know, it's you know. I mean, I I worked as a professional musician for the more majority of my adult life. Anyways, you know, I I started playing professionally uh, for a living uh, when I was 24, and uh, that was okay. It you know, it's not it's not great money, but. Uh, you know, we did it to a point where we could actually make decent enough money to live off of. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's OK. It's not it's not I, I want to call it art. But at the same time, when you're playing in the we'll call it the bar scene, <laughs> uh, it's very repetitive. Still a and, job. Uh, it's a job. It's it, it feels more like a job than it is. But you have dedicated you know, an art. You have dedicated people that oh, yeah. come see you and show up and know your songs and Oh yeah. But or do they show up for the alcohol and then there's a band there too. <laughs> yeah. Stop it. Sometimes a little of both. A yeah. little of both. And <laughs> you know, and I you know what I still play play music live from time to time, although not so much since the pand- pandemic, but uh but I still do it. But after doing that for a, a certain number of years, you know, you kind of start to lose your passion for for music, and if you if that's all you're doing, right? When when that's all you're doing, and you're not writing songs and getting out performing your original songs or whatever, you know, it it may make sense that you want to go out and do that. And you know, I have done that to an extent as well. I also, uh, you know, at a certain point, I in my life, I opened up my own music school, and that was a lot of fun working with kids and teaching them. Um, you know, what I knew about uh, music and uh, guitar and all that kind of fun stuff and and uh, did that for a while. Of course, the business aspect of that is very tough, but uh, I still did it for quite a while. And, uh, you know, when uh, it's just when you get to a certain point in your life, you want to try new things, you know, and uh, yeah. um, film was always kind of a passion of mine, you know, and 
I've always loved film. I never knew anything about it. I've always been a creative guy as far as writing goes and stuff like that. I always had different stories I wanted to tell. And, um, you know, it gets to be so much where, you know, you're not going to tell all your stories through songs. So uh want to try a different uh, avenue. And, uh, you know, luckily for, for myself, I had uh, that was around, around the period when I met my my now wife. And she's been a super, super encouraging person for me as far as, uh, you know, my career goes and my artistic endeavors go. And uh, if anybody pushed me into being a filmmaker, it would have been my wife because, uh, you know, she, she heard me talking about it early on when we were dating, you know, about how old it would be cool to make make this and make that. And she said, well, do it. <laughs> you know, she said, Steve, do it. You know, so I did it, and and uh, you know, there's been a lot of bumps along the way, and I, I it's never easy, but uh, and you know, you get a lot of criticisms. You know, early on, I boy, boy, did I ever get a lot of criticisms, and and that's okay. You know, you 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 you're gonna have to make a lot of mistakes to 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 get better, <laughs> if that makes sense. So uh, I definitely every every criticism I got, I always you know really looked at it and, and analyzed it and you know made sure it was a valid criticism mm-hmm. uh because i wanted to i always wanted to learn and i'm still that kind of guy that's always wanting to learn and uh you know there's going to be people that criticize the sawyer massacre and of course there's good there's going to be things to criticize it was you know a feature film made for under thirty thousand dollars and you know there's there's going to be issues and there were issues you know it's a period piece where our movie set in 1965 and you know there you know i think our costume design and stuff was okay but you know could it would it have been better had i had more money to 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 do more more elaborate 60s costumes for sure for sure we did the best we could on the on the small budget that we could we got the best vehicles we could as far as that time period accurate accurate goes uh as we could as well and uh it worked out pretty well but uh you know that it's it's never perfect. You know you're always learning as an artist. So um, yeah, continuous that's all I, I mean, I've, I've probably blathered on a little bit long there, but <laughs> no, no, not at all. Hey, this is your time. I mean, I I would like you to kind of expound on some of those bumps on the road that you came to when trying to fund the project. There are a few different avenues people can take. We're talking about Indiegogo. We're talking Kickstarter, GoFundMe. Now, there are just so many different ways that you can raise the funds for this. You chose Indiegogo this time around, and how's that gone? It looks like it's gone well. Um, You got some really cool perks. Well, thanks. thanks. Um, Indiegogo has been uh, my... The only avenue I've went as far as crowdfunding, I've never tried Kickstarter, I've never tried uh, GoFundMe or or Seed and Spark or whatever. I've never done any of those uh, because I've seen so many people successful on Indiegogo in the film world that it just made sense to me. And I found that the uh, the platform was pretty you know easy to uh, to do to set up uh, something pretty good you know, you know good looking as far as a campaign goes. So I I think I always. Even from day one, I, I managed pretty well with, you know, making sure the campaign looked pretty good. Um, bumps in the road early on. Um, the first campaign we ran, I think the biggest mistake I made was setting setting the goal too high. Uh, it's great to shoot for the moon, um, but you know, hey, I, we set uh, I set a high goal because I knew that that's you know I've gone I went over the numbers and if I really wanted to make the dream 
the dream project it would have taken um you know 500k canadian to to do that uh and there was no way we're going to raise that much i never ever should have uh asked for that much because we're never we're never going to raise there's no way that not even uh not for my the first time doing an indie coco you know um it didn't make sense but you know it was a number that I went uh, went over my budget with. Uh, you know, I had to look at a realistic budget for making it exactly as I want to cast. You know, so have some star casting and all this kind of stuff. And you know, it, it's it is expensive to make movies. You know, it's it's not cheap, and um, you can get around that. You know, you can find ways around certain things. So it didn't necessarily have to cost you. Uh, wouldn't have necessarily had to cost me 500 grand to make the movie but uh but realistically if i was independently making this and doing everything by the book and making sure it's a union project and all that kind of stuff that's it's that's a pretty realistic number what this movie should cost to make in an indie standard uh you know if it's a hollywood standard you'd add an extra zero on that you know it'd be five ten million but uh you see but, it yeah you, know. you see it every day every week these, yeah. exactly. these budgets are exactly. outrageous, and a lot of times they don't make uh, what was put into it. So, I mean, you exactly. have to be careful. You have to, you know, kind of pinch pennies, but at the same time, you want to make, you don't want to go wish.com on your on your dream project, <laughs> right? Exactly. Well, got to set realistic expectations. It's, again, it's good, good to shoot for the moon, but... Uh, I didn't realize how important it was to have a realistic goal at that time. That, that's something I, I learned from that first campaign. I was happy that we still raised a few grand, uh, but in, this movie was not going to get made in Texas off of a few grand. So, you know, on to Indiegogo number two. I think Indiegogo number two, I learned more, though. Mm. Yes, we had a realistic goal. Uh, we still didn't hit that goal, though. I learned more about networking uh, in, in that uh, second campaign, I was learning more that you really have to reach out to a lot of people. And uh, that's basically what I did uh, from that point on. And I actually ha- learned about having a team, having a good team uh, of promoters and stuff like that. So, you know, unfortunately, that kind of all came together, you know, after the halfway point of that campaign. So that's why we fell a bit short. Uh, but you know, we still did far, far better. And I think, you know, by the time we, we went for our third campaign, we had it in the bag. We, we, you know, it was, uh, we knew we were going to be able to do it. So, you know, just having all the, having those connections, having the right people on your team, it made a huge, huge difference. So uh, I definitely don't take that for granted. Um, anybody out there that's starting a campaign, an Indiegogo campaign, you gotta know that you you, you have to have connections. You have to add new people to your Facebook every day on a daily basis, you know, at least 10 new people every day and reaching out to them DMS every day. Hey, um, uh, I'm, we've got connections in the film industry or whatever, right? You, you, you yeah. do that and, uh, and make the connection, make the impression. I think, you know, that was sort of the most valuable thing that I really learned because, you know, we wouldn't have, ha- I wouldn't have had a lot of the, I wouldn't have met, I wouldn't have met a lot of great people that I haven't, I wouldn't have met a lot of these people had I not uh, done that. And a lot of them are friends for life now, uh, as well as a lot of great backers, you know, who are also friends now. A lot of, you know, people who pitched in good money to to our film um, because of, of me reaching out and, and, uh, and, hey, actually finding out these are pretty cool people. 
And uh, hey, you know, they've got a business. They want to put their logo in the movie. That, that kind of thing. You just never know when that's going to, that, who you're going to meet doing that. So um, yeah, I've got a lot of friends on Facebook now, but you know, you, you do what you have to do. And uh, you know, you can't just do Facebook. You got to try Instagram and you got to try Twitter. And it's, it really is a full-time job. I'm not going to lie. Anybody getting into crowdfunding, if you think you can work a full-time job and just post, post something at, at the end of the night when uh, you get home from work, not that simple. It's never going to be that simple. Yeah, you got to make a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So let's so, talk about – yeah, go, go ahead, Suki. Well, the criticism. I am not that crit- – I am, like, critical of indie films. I'm like, oh, I can see, you know, something hanging from the ceiling. But if it's yeah. a big-budget film, then I'm really critical. But for indie films, I'm not, I'm not as critical. So are, are people <laughs> harder on you or do you feel like – I don't like, know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, I big budget films get a lot of criticism, but I think they the big budget films get more criticism of from the standpoint of their storytelling mm-hmm. more than anything else. So that when you see that kind of stuff on Rotten Tomatoes, you're not you're not going to get a lot of criticisms for bad acting or or uh, you know goofs in the film. I mean, there are going to be the odd goofs here and there in in Hollywood films too, but uh, there won't be as much. There aren't, aren't going to be as many continuity issues in big budget films as there are indie films. Uh, and again, the acting is you're you're always they always get the top actors to be in their films. So I'm not saying every Hollywood actor is great. Some are better than than others, obviously. But uh, but uh, we are limited with again, you know, non-union actors and stuff like that. So you know, some of the acting that that uh, we end up getting in indie films is not the best. Some of it is great though. Some uh, like I'm actually super, super excited for some of these actors in, in our film. Uh, Cause some of them really delivered like really, yes, there are some moments where maybe the acting isn't quite as, as good. Uh, I actually don't really think it's the actor's fault though. I think it was probably more my fault. Uh, the shooting schedule's fault more than anything though, because I mean, it's so hard to it's really really hard to to uh, really embody the everything right as an actor when you've got so little time to to do it you know we had such a tight shooting schedule we shot our film in nine days so there's just no way that every acting performance is going to be uh up to par uh and some great actors you know have some moments where i was like Ugh, wish that was better you know but nine uh, yeah calendar days like a nine like, days like... it was it was not good it was not easy i'll tell you that we it was originally 10 it was originally 10 we'd scheduled for 10 and we had to cancel what was supposed to be our biggest shooting day uh because it was pretty much like a typhoon going through <laughs> through central texas at that time it was like the worst possible weather you could imagine so there was just no way we couldn't cancel that day. There was just no way. So we, we had to cancel and, and try to make up a lot you know, during the other days. Uh, one, one of the days we ended up shooting 15 pages of script in, in one day. I've never, ever imagined ever doing that much in one day. That was just in, insane. Uh, but we did it. We did it. We powered through and we, we, we got the movie made. But, you know, is it exactly how I envisioned? Of course not. It's it's uh, it's it's not going to be when when you're in those types of situations. 
It and it never is. It never is. Well, so, yeah, nobody's going to yeah. bat a thousand in that scenario. There's always going to be something, <laughs> Some, something yeah. off, uh, something just different from what was originally envisioned. Um, but oh, yeah. let's talk about that Indiegogo campaign though, and the perks that uh, are available. Are there still any uh, available perks on your uh, on your campaign? There, there are. There are a lot of them. A lot of perks had to come down from the campaign because. Uh, a lot of them were, uh, you know, getting your name in order to get your name in the film. As, you know, as uh-huh. either be, either a special thanks or or you could get like, you know, one of our producer perks and have your name in the film. Now we've only got it, uh, our producer perks so that you get your name on IMDb. Um, but uh, we still have those. We still have those. Those are a little bit higher priced than those are the on the higher end. But uh, Blu-ray is still available. DVD still available. Uh, digital download if you don't want a physical copy that's available on the campaign uh today we just uh, added uh, we had some leftover uh photos signed photos from the cast from the premiere we just added that on the campaign today so there's just a few few uh of those left but uh but uh they're on the campaign for anybody who wants to get some signed cast photos um uh, yeah go check those out yeah i need uh, a what else on the campaign? <laughs> Yeah, Blu-ray has been popular. That's for sure. I guess Blu-ray is the best uh, form of physical media these these days. It's the most popular, anyways. I mean, D- we sold a fair amount of DVDs as well, but uh, Blu-ray. I think we sold over two hundred Blu-rays altogether. I'm pretty I sure. I saw it's there were some. I saw there were some perks that was like one of one, two of two, um, and those sold pretty quick. Like that uh, that necktie, the nasty necktie. Um, <laughs> that one, that one was gone pretty quick. Um, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you got like some prosthetics, or maybe not prosthetics. I don't think that's the right word. I'm not a makeup guy. I don't want to use no, the wrong a, terminology. You're and... not a makeup guy. <laughs> oh no, you, you would yeah, we... you would think so, but I'm not. Um, it was a yeah. Some of these. It was a... Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the prosthetic is the right word. I, I knew it was. I was confident the whole yeah, it was time. A silicone prosthetic that uh, I, it was funny. Uh, I didn't even realize we still had this silicone prosthetic that the SFX artist made for one of our actors who, you know, we won't say who or anything like that, you know, so we don't spoil anything. But uh, uh, I got, uh, when I went back to Texas to stay with the, the same lady that we stayed with while we're shooting, um, my wife and I stayed, my wife and my, my whole family stayed with her. And uh, we were looking through all, all of the screen use perks because we're starting to ship some of the stuff that she has there. Um and we found that in her basement. I'm like, oh, man, I didn't even realize we had this thing. So let's sell it on the campaign. And it's sold in the first few hours. <laughs> you know, certain things sell quickly. You know, you, so, sometimes I think I'm I'm not uh, having the price high enough, you know, for some of these items. Right. Like the necktie, I, I think we sold that for $150. I think I got it for like $30, you know. So <laughs> I, thought, uh, I thought for sure that's... Uh, that that was a good part, but it went like so quickly. And uh, also the straight razor that we had as well. It was an old antique straight razor. So I, I set it at $200 and uh, it went like that. It disappeared. (laughs) uh, It probably, I imagine that like we ended up getting that straight razor for free, actually Uh, shout out to Jennifer Roberts for that, because uh, that, probably should have cost about a hundred dollars that probably should have cost us about a hundred dollars but we sold it for two so we still would have 
made a profit on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it sold very, very quickly. But, uh, you know, you mentioned it's screen used. And I think we also mentioned that that was used by Leatherface in the movie, which it is. Um, so I think for those reasons, it, it they sell, you know, screen used items, screen used weapons. You know, the when we sold the chainsaw, that was, I almost feel like we should have sold that for hire. Because that was one heck of an item. The what? <laughs> the chainsaw. You sold the chainsaw in the United States. Yeah, like... <laughs> we just we just got it shipped. <laughs> we bought the chains. We I believe we bought the chainsaw from somebody. And I want to say oh, I don't. I'm going to get this wrong because I'm totally off on my geography. I think we bought the chainsaw from somebody in Virginia. Hey. So we had the chainsaw shipped. From Virginia to Alabama, which is where our props guy was, and then our Al- props guy drove from Alabama to Texas with the chainsaw, used it in, in the film, and uh, anyways, it sold on the campaign for seven hundred dollars, and now it's made its way to North Carolina. Look at there! Mm, it's it's the long there way around. Backwards in Virginia, it's, it's somebody it's I'm sure has lots of chainsaws. Yeah, they've got a <laughs> surplus of chainsaws in Virginia. Yeah, but you know what? We're gonna Makes put sense. the link. We're gonna put the link to your uh, Indiegogo campaign in the bio to this episode. So make sure you're you're checking that out. Still got a ton of of uh, perks to to look at. Let's take care of this project. Get these actors paid. This is a a really fun film. The premiere went great. You said, and I'm really happy to hear that because great. I know that you know we talked about uh, coming on to the show prior to the the premiere and it may have been about three weeks prior to the premiere and i was like man I, we got to nail this down i, w- I want to talk to steve and you know now that the project's over with how, how do you feel overall do you feel like it was um it, it was worth the time and effort oh definitely you know um if even if the movie turned out to be crap which it very well could have and after filming after we finished production you know, there was a part of me that thought, man, I don't think we made a good movie. Um, it came out a heck of a lot better than I than I had ever imagined. But, you know, even still, the learning experience is huge. Learn more making this film than I have on any other film in the past, which is, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's a testament to the, the cast and crew that we really had because I never had the luxury of working with such an amazing cast and crew in the past. I'll say that. I've worked with some great people in the past, but when everybody that that was on set was just just awesome at what they did, uh, you don't get that very often. You don't get that. To, it was this was truly made by a bunch of really passionate people that were really given it. And I mean, I can say that as soon as I landed in Texas uh, to shoot this movie, I had I just knew that we had great people behind this this movie. You know, before we even started sh- shooting. You know, the majority of the of the crew came out to uh, the one of the main locations with me and we had hacksaws and chainsaws going on and we needed to cut down a ton of trees in front of this one location because we needed to see this house that was, (laughs) you know, and the, the fact that all these people, you know, they weren't getting paid and they're all hacking away at trees and vines and poison ivy and God knows what just so that we can get this damn house in the shot, you know. Uh, I, I That's the kind of thing that, you know, it's, it's kind of an amazing feeling to know that these people are going to do this this for you. 
And thank you to all those people that I, I don't want to try to name all of those people because I know I'm going to leave somebody out. Uh, but, uh, geez, uh, you know who you are. If you hear this episode, thank you so much for the hard work that you did to make this movie a reality because, uh, I've never seen that before. I've never experienced that kind of effort from, uh, people here in Canada. Anyway, so <laughs> that was huge. Well, what do you have coming up in the future, man? Have you got anything nailed down? Like what, what you want to tackle next? Um, yeah, I do. I mean, I have a, have a script uh, for my next film. I do feel like I'm going to maybe make some touch-ups on the script, but uh, I have a psychological thriller that I'm going to tackle. And I've I already actually made a short film version of this already, but uh, uh, I, I want to make the feature because, uh, you know, in the short film, it doesn't really quite, the narrative doesn't quite uh, uh, do what I want. It doesn't quite do what I want it to do. Uh, so I needed it needed a feature treatment, and uh, we'll be very excited to uh, t- to tackle that one next. Well, tell everybody where they can find you on your social, Steve. Oh, sure, you can find me on Facebook, Steve Merlo, and the Sawyer Massacre uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre fan film group, as well as the Sawyer Massacre page on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Chainsaw underscore Sawyer. I'm on Twitter at Massacre Sawyer. Um, geez, where else am I? I'm on the Slasher app. I'm on YouTube at Meet Mungus Merlo. I'm everywhere. Yes. And we're <laughs> going to have those. Some out. <laughs> Probably. Well, we're going to we're going to get all that information from you. and We're going to put that in the bio as well. Suki, got any final thoughts for you right out of here? Support indie film. Support I love it. Indie film. And we do want to remind you that we are at slashersports.com on Twitter and TikTok at Slasher Sports on Instagram at Slasher Sports Media. Got everything in sports and entertainment from baseball to horror flicks. Now go forth and may you drink the blood of your enemies from the skulls of their children.